your Locked On Maple Leafs, your daily podcast on the Toronto Maple Leafs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Leafs podcast, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's brother from TSN's Overdrive. You can be up on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show as well at Locked On Leafs. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Leave a rating and review as well. That would be much, much appreciated. All right, so now that wave two of free agent shopping is pretty much in the bag for Kyle Dubas and the Maple Leafs, I think it's time to put on to paper my very first mock lineup and what I think uh, that this lineup will look like. Again, it's just a first draft, right? So this things could change as, as we get to training camp. Maybe an injury occurs or, you know, they make one more signing or trade. Tons of stuff can happen. Or I could also just be flat out wrong and uh, have a different vantage point or a viewpoint about a certain player once the uh, once <laughs> once training camp rolls around and the actual lineups get revealed. But this is what I'm kind of thinking we'll see uh, through you know, right at the start of camp, or this is what I would do, I guess, if I were Sheldon Keefe, uh, and I'm looking to to kind of put the lines out there on night one, there was a lot of changes, right, like Joe Thornton, gone, uh, Nick Felino gone, obviously Zach Hyman, gone, so like, there's a lot of different moving parts here, you have two glaring holes in the top six wing position on defense there's a glaring hole on the right side on the third pair the rest of it's all pretty well the same I would say but there there is one defense uh defensive I guess part that's different with the uh with the ex uh, exodus of Zach Pogosian and then we take a look at the goaltending and then we'll also take a look at the special teams units and what I think those could look like uh, next season and obviously we all are very much aware of how porous that power play performs so I've got uh, I've got a little bit of a different outlook about what I think maybe the Leafs should do on the power play next season and I'll, I'll you know we'll get to those in, in just a little bit but we're going to start off at the forward position and we're going to start off uh, with the top unit, Marner and Matthews clearly are locked in there. Tavares or Nylander also locked into line two. But who do I have as their wingers on the left side? So with Matthews and Marner on the top line, I I want to see what Michael Bunting can do with this with this team. You know, I've talked about Bunting a lot. I'm a big fan of him. I think that he's a very low risk, high reward type signing. You know, at just 950000 for a guy who scored 10 goals through 21 games last year, I think it's worth just taking a peek. Let's see what he's got. And you look at most of his goals. They're all scored out in, in front of the net, right? Whether it's a tip or he was banging away at rebounds. And when you're playing on a line with Matthews and Marner, they're going to be a high-volume shooting line. And if you got someone who goes to the net, either screens pucks, tips pucks, or bangs away at rebounds, I think that's a pretty good combination. You know, Zach Hyman fared pretty well doing that a while ago uh, for, for quite a while here in Toronto. You know, Michael Bunting also kind of a pest as well, so I could see him going, getting gritty, digging in the corners, kind of doing a lot of what Zach Hyman did in the offensive zone. I'm not expecting him to, 
you know, be Zach Hyman or even a Zach Hyman like, because I don't think he has the same capabilities on the other side of the ice like Zach Hyman did. But I think Bunting uh, will complement Matthews and Marner quite well on the top line. So I, I, I want to see what that unit looks like uh, right at the start of camp. So that's what I would do. The second unit, it's really between two players for me. Uh, so Tavares and Nylander, clear locks here. And at this point, it's between uh, either Nick Ritchie or Alex Kerfoot. And I've put Ritchie in here for now because I think they can go to Kerfoot at some point. But I also like Kerfoot better as a shutdown role in a wing position than I do than, than Nick Ritchie. And you know, when it comes to the third line, what I believe Sheldon Keefe wants is a true, legitimate shutdown line. And I think Kerfoot would suit better in that role than or Nick Ritchie. And you look at what Ritchie did last year. when you know, Before Taylor Hall came to Boston, he was up in the top six. And he was actually playing really well. And he was, you know, scoring, putting up points. Um, so I think that if Ritchie has a top six role here in Toronto, maybe that success will also translate here alongside a couple of skilled guys who are going to put up points in Tavares and Nylander. And Richie, again, a, a guy who could just go to the net, you know, stick that big frame out there and, and bang away at rebounds, screen the goaltender, and just be a bit of a pest, you know. And, and the big knock on Richie is really that he, he sometimes takes some dumb penalties. And, you know, hopefully that, uh, you know, they can clean that up a little bit. It's just more of a mindset, I guess, for, for Nick Richie. And, and that doesn't happen. But in terms of, of what I think this would do to the lineup as a whole, I, I chose Richie over Kerfoot. So moving on to the third line. And like I said, I, I, be, I really do. Not only do I believe this, I know this because he's talked about this. He really wants a, uh, Sheldon Keefe really wants a shutdown third line, like a legitimate shutdown third line. And um, so I think that Kerfoot, David Kampf, and Ilya Mikheyev makes a lot of sense. Like, that 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 makes so much sense. I mean, Camp. There was a lot of people that were like, eh, "Really, you're gonna sign David Camp? That that's gonna be your 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 big signing here down the middle?" I, I don't know about that, but Camp I think is a pretty solid shutdown third line guy. Uh, there was a lot of of fans out in Chicago who were pretty upset to see him go. And uh, said that look, the, the possession metrics and the the analytic numbers don't really look as favorable as as what he actually plays like, which I think is an encouraging sign for the Maple Leafs. So, you know, him, Mikheyev, who we already know is kind of a Zach Hyman light two way type guy. He's got some speed. He's got some grit. Maybe this year he'll finally get some puck luck and score a couple of goals. And, uh, you know, Kerfoot, well, we saw what he was able to do in the playoffs. Like he can when he's on his game. And I think he's best on the wing. So the fact that they brought in a guy like Camp to be the centerman and they have some depth down the middle, they don't have to force Kerfoot to the center of the ice where I think he just gets a little overwhelmed. So pushing him out to the wing, I think is going to be good not only for him offensively, but also defensively because it's a little bit less of uh, of a role there. So Kerfoot, Camp, and Mikheyev, I think, is a sh- good shutdown third line. And then the fourth line, um, there's a couple of different combinations that I think will, will be battling for these spots here. But as of now, I've got uh, Wayne Simmons, Jason Spezza, and Andre Kasha. 
Obviously, there's the injury history to Cassius, so we'll see if he if he's going to be good to go uh, come training camp. But I think that's something that uh, that it just makes sense. Like he's not going to take Marner, he's not going to take Nylander's spot. I don't see him in a shutdown role to put him on the third line. So he's kind of stuck with a fourth line role unless he moves over to the left side and and takes one of Bunting or Richie's spot, which I mean I suppose is p- possible. It's not impossible but we'll see what ends up happening there um Engvall and Adam Brooks are probably the two guys who will also be vying for some positions here on the fourth line you know Engvall he can play a little bit of center he can also play on the wing Brooks same thing center and wing and I think versatility is key right Spezza can also play the center and wing position and we'll probably see, you know, some rotation here with these guys, you know, keeping, you know, Simmons and Spezza nice and fresh, I think might be a, a good idea. Although last year, Jason Spezza was pretty fantastic in a nice sheltered fourth line role. His production per 60 was up there in the top five of the entire NHL. So I don't know if he really <laughs> needs to be sheltered. Um, and by sheltered, I mean like have him take nights off to rest up. You know, load management, I guess, is the the term that I'm looking for there because he did so well last year. But we'll see, you know, a whole full year, uh, you know, more on the chi- on the tires there. Maybe not as much tread. We'll, we'll see what ends up happening. But I'm, I'm, Cash is going to be an interesting guy to see where he places in this lineup if he could stay healthy. Because if so, at one point, I think it was what, 1.125 million, like absolute steal if he can be in the lineup. Like absolute steal. A guy who can score you 40 to 45 points. Um, so we'll see what ends up happening with Kasha, but he could just add a, another layer of offense with that fourth line with Jason Spezza and, uh, and Wayne Simmons. Um, okay, we'll take a quick break. When we get back, let's check out the defensive pairings and the goaltenders. And uh, so we'll do that when we get back here on the Locked on Leafs podcast. All right, welcome back to the Locked on Leafs podcast. Mike DiStefano here, the host of the show. And just a reminder, we've hit the offseason, so we've gone down to three shows a week. But hey, that's three jam-packed Leafs-related shows. Uh, so make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from, and you'll get those directly to your phone uh, at least three times a week. And we're going to be doing some some fun stuff. We'll have some good uh, interviews as well. I got a couple of things lined up over the next couple of weeks with some you know some really good reporters, some writers, some. Uh, some former Maple Leafs as well. So you're, make sure that you're subscribed so that you know you don't miss those uh, those interviews there. So let's take a look at the defense and goaltenders, though. We'll start up, obviously, with the D, the six-man unit, and it, there's not much change, right? I think Zach Bogosian is really the only guy who is gone off of this, this unit, and don't get me wrong, I think that's actually a pretty big, significant blow. Like, he... Ate up some decent minutes. He played a really solid third-pair role, I think, when when both Dermott and Sandine were in. He kind of settled their game a little bit, leaned on that veteran presence, and then also was a focal part of this power, uh, of the penalty kill as well. You know, just kind of ate pucks and had a physical tone to him. Like, it's, it's not he's not easily replaceable. And really, they didn't get somebody to replace him. They're hoping to do it internally, which... 
I don't know if I'm a big fan of that. I, I'm really not. I, I wanted them to go out and get a guy, Yanni Hakipaka, um, or Yanni Hakipa was a guy who I was a big fan of in free agency, who I believe ended up signing a, a three-year deal um, with Anaheim, I want to say. Either way, he signed a three-year deal. Maybe he was even Columbus. Uh, just uh, about, about a, I think it was like a million and a half or something like that on, on a fee, on a multi-year deal. And that would have been something that I would have liked the least to kind of take a peek at, but obviously uh, unable to, to do it, they decided to kind of load up on, on some forward depth as opposed to finding a, a proper replacement for Zach Bogosian. And again, you know, I, I get a lot of uh, flack sometimes about being a Dubis lover and how I love everything that he does. And I don't. I really, and this is one, this is probably the 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 biggest thing about this offseason that I have not been a fan of, that like I'm really not a fan of, is the fact that they did not find a proper replacement for Zach Bogosian. I think that he is going to be truly missed next season. And it, it hurts to know that he signed a multi-year deal with Tampa at such a cheap rate. I think it was like 800000 or 850000 on a three-year deal. And who knows? It, I, I did also hear there was that report from Darren Dreger a little while ago saying he wasn't quite happy playing up in, uh, up in Toronto. The report was that he wasn't happy with his role, but... Then some reports came out later on that he just didn't want to play in Canada. So, I mean, it's not Dubas' fault that he couldn't retain him at that price. It may very well have been that he just didn't want to play in Toronto. And, you know, with you know high taxes and the way that they're going about the COVID situation and everything's pretty locked down and secured uh, compared to the U.S., some players just would rather not play in Canada and not have to deal with that. Um, for for however long else we have some COVID restrictions in place up here and whatever you, you can't I guess fault the guy for that he you know if if he believes that's best for him and his family I guess it is what it is I think Nick Foligno uh, potentially had a very similar thought process when the, he was weighing the the pros and cons of coming back to Toronto and ultimately you know spurring us to to go to Boston I I wouldn't be surprised if that same conversation with hat was had with that family uh the the Felino family but anyways um let's get to the guys who will be here and starting up top you roll it back man Morgan Riley and TJ Brody they were great last year you know sometimes Riley I felt left Brody out uh, out to dry sometimes and he would have to defend some two-on-ones but you know, for the most part, I thought they were a pretty steady top pair for Toronto. And, you know, as a collective unit, you saw major, major improvement in this unit. And Brody brought a lot of steadiness to that. Also, of course, the the um, kind of emergence of Justin Hall as a top four guy. So, you know, Hall and Muzzin clearly going to be that shutdown number two pairing. And boy, am I ever glad that uh, that. Dubas decided to go the 4-4-1 four, four, and one route and, and keep all four defensemen and keep Justin Hall in the expansion draft. Uh, seeing what defensemen went for, like depth defensemen, not even a guy like Tucker Pullman, who might be a sixth, like a fringe six seven defenseman. Um, and they were going for two and a half million bucks. Cody Cece, Cody Cece. Went for 3.25. Yeah, I'll stick with Justin Hall at $2 million over CC at 3.25 on a three-year term. So I think we can put it put it to rest here that he made the right call. And uh, Justin Hall 
over Jared McCann, definitely the the better call there. But regardless, yeah, so Muzzin and Hall going to be that second shutdown defensive pairing, uh, no doubt about it. And I think that Rasmus Sandin is ready for a full-time NHL role. So I've got Sandin, and then Travis Dermott is going to flip over and play the right side, something he's relatively comfortable with. He's done that um, in the past before. And, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, I remember listening to a press conference when um, when Kyle Dubas was talking about Dermott, saying that we want him to be versatile and he'll play a little bit on the right side in his, you know, in his Leafs tenure. And I think that now this is the time where he's going to basically become a full-time right shot defenseman uh, or right side defenseman. And again, that's just because they didn't actually find one for Zach Bogosian. So he's going to have to go in and play a Bogosian role. And Dermot's like a good defenseman. I I think that he's a a fine third pair guy. I just, you know, I wish that they got somebody who had just a little bit more uh, Bogosian-esque qualities um, uh, more of a, a penalty killer, more of a, a bigger body to go out there, you know, and 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 play a heavier style game than than Dermot. But it is what it is. This is the the lineup that we have to work with as of now. So uh, Sandin and Dermot are are going to be those guys. And like I said, Kyle Dubas said he's going to try and work from within. And Lilligren is another guy who could end up fighting for some some time here. He is a traditional right shot defenseman. They signed Alex Biega, uh, a, a veteran there. Carl Dahlstrom is somebody who might end up with some time uh, some time up here. Uh, they signed who who uh, Brennan Manel. They signed. They brought over from in a trade at the draft. They gave up a. a future seventh round pick I think to the Minnesota Wild to bring in Brene- uh, Brendan Manel and, and he's somebody who spent last year in the KHL 38 points in 47 games and uh, so he may end up getting a, an opportunity up there as well he's 24 years old um, but we've seen sometimes defensemen struggle going from the KHL with the bigger ice surface to the NHL uh, hopefully Manel doesn't struggle and, and this turns out to be a savvy move and Brunel can uh, make something, or Manel, sorry, Manel can make something of himself and, and I think he'll get a chance to compete in camp, but I think right now the nod for that third pair is probably uh, and most definitely leading by a strong margin is going to be Rasmus Sandin and Travis Dermott. Uh, the goaltending, I don't think it's much of a debate as to who the goaltenders are going to be for this team. It's going to be Jack Campbell and Peter Morazic. It's going to be a true tandem in net. Uh, you know, like legitimately, I could see this being a 50-50 split. They both start between 40 and 45 games. Like whoever's on a, on a hot streak, you give them the net. You know, if you're on back-to-backs, one gets one night, one gets the other. It's, it's going to be... Uh, a back and forth affair, and whoever's winning games is gonna stick and stay in net, you know. And 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 I was a fan of the Mrazic signing. I think that this was uh, almost a perfect complement goaltender to Jack Campbell. But a lot of this is gonna ride on the health of these two goalies, right? Jack Campbell um, suffered some some injuries last year. He he also was fatigued at times, especially early in the season. You know, wasn't able to play more than a couple games without having to take a night off. Now, later in the year, that 
kind of went away. And even in the playoffs, he did start back-to-back games. He started all seven games in a row in the playoffs, including it back-to-back, like I said. So maybe it just took him a little bit to find his wind, and he got it. And and hopefully, um, you know, he can carry that into next year where that isn't really an issue anymore. And then Mrazek did have a thumb injury last year. Um, you know, he's, he's had injuries in the past. He's Outside of Carolina, he's been a little bit inconsistent too. So now we're going to find out, like, is Mrazek actually a good goaltender or is it the system? But the good thing about the if it's the system is we do have the, <laughs> the defensive coach from Carolina, Dean uh, Shinwith now. So, you know, if, if they're going to implement a new system there and it's Shinwith's system, you know, that, that could bode well for Mrazek too. Uh, but Campbell and Mrazek, hands down, the, the number one 1A goaltender um, for the Maple Leafs next season. All right, we'll take one more quick break. When we come back, let's get to the special teams unit to let you know what I'm thinking about how I would deploy the power play and then uh, somewhat of a yeah, it's, it's not that new look of a penalty kill, but it, one player in particular I'm hoping can make a big difference uh, to the penalty kill, which was a, uh, I think it was like a bottom 10 PK in the league. Not great, but I think we'll see some improvements, and I'll explain why on the other side. All right, welcome back into the Locked on Lease podcast. Going over what I believe my first mock lineup for what I believe it's going to look like day one, right? What I think I would do day one um, of camp or right now, like if camp started now, this is the, the mock lineup that I would throw out there uh, for like a preseason game. Things can change, obviously, including my opinion could also change. So if you know, three weeks from now, this isn't the same mock lineup that I do. Obviously, I have new intel and, and, and I've thought about things. Maybe I, I did a little bit more research on certain players and I have a new thought process on, on how I want to deploy things. It's very possible. So nothing that I'm saying here I am married to and I can easily be persuaded to go elsewhere uh, if I'm presented a proper argument. So if anything that I'm telling you guys and anything I'm saying here. Uh, for how I'm electing to deploy this lineup. If you got a problem with it, or if you think that there's a better way to deploy the lineup, one that you think will be more effective for the Maple Leafs, shoot me a note on Twitter, at Mickey underscore Canuck, and uh, let me know for sure what you think would be a better uh, a better um, outlook on what this lineup could look like. Uh, all right, let's get to the special teams, and we'll start with the power play, which was... God awful last year. Um, <laughs> from March 1st onward, they were the 30th ranked penalty kill unit. They were operating at a sub 10% penalty uh, power play for a majority of the back half of the season. Just awful. Awful, awful, awful. They couldn't get anything going. No one outside of Austin Matthews was shooting the puck. And they were just super predictable. It just did not work. So, I am begging Manny Malhotra to try something different. Because he was he was married to, like, a loaded up PP1 last year. I don't think I want to do that. I think I'm going to 
talk about potentially having two units here. And I'll talk about the strengths of each. So, first power play, this is the five-man unit that I'm, I'm, I'm willing to deploy here. Nick Ritchie, Austin Matthews, William Nylander, Jason Spezza, and then Morgan Riley. Unfortunately, this team does not have like a traditional, like lethal power play quarterback. No one's got a bomb from the point. Uh, so Morgan Riley, albeit a, a great puck movement defenseman and a decent power play guy. You know, not the most ideal, but he's decent. So I think he probably still ends up being the, the quarterback of this power play from the back end. Put Jason Spets in the bumper roll. Still has some nice uh, nifty hands. I think that's a good spot for him. Um, thinks the game super well. Nick Ritchie, put him in the net front roll. Big body, worked for him really well last year on Boston on the power play. So put him in a, a familiar position uh, that he knows quite well where he's had some success. Put William Nylander along the half wall. Allow him to use his hockey sense and allow him to use his quick skating, quick thinking, quick shot, you know, to open up some space for himself, but also open up a little bit more space for Austin Matthews because if Nylander's got the puck on, on along the half wall on one side and you got Matthews on the other side, well, two things are going to happen. Nylander is going to be a threat to shoot. So they're going to have to respect Nylander's shot, and they're not going to be able to just inch their way over to Matthews like what was happening last year when Marner had uh, had the, the roll on the half wall because he just never shot the puck, ever. Never shot it on the power play. So if you get a, a couple of shooters out there with Nylander and Matthews, it becomes less predictable, and um, it'll open up both players to allow them to do what they do best. And that's put the puck in the back of the net. So that's what I've got for the first power play unit. And that's kind of my theory behind it. The second power play unit, I've got Michael Bunting as the net front presence. John Tavares in the bumper roll. Will, uh, Mitch Marner along the wall. You know, back... I still think he's a, a terrific player. Don't get me wrong. It's not that he can't play, you know, along the wall. I just wanted to, to change it up a little bit. It kind of spread out... Uh, the, the, the studs of this offense. Uh, and then got uh, Sandine as the uh, PP2 defenseman, and then uh, Kerfoot also as kind of the fourth forward out there um, along with them. So th that's, that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I would do, at least with this power play. I think you, you kind of spread out the offense a little bit, and then you have shooters on on you know, two shooters with Matthews. When it comes to the second unit, there's not as many shooters, I guess. you got Tavares, who who is definitely a, a guy who can shoot the puck at a volume if he wants to. Maybe Marner, if he's not with Matthews, won't feel the need to have to give him the puck all the time, and he'll shoot it a little bit more. Sandine isn't afraid to shoot the puck. We saw that happen in the in the in the playoffs. Scored a power play goal from shooting it. And Michael Bunting, just go to the net. That's what he does best. Go to the net. Could potentially be a, a spot for Wayne Simmons as well here. So, you know, Simmons or Bunting, again, like I said, I'm not married to these. It's just I, I think Michael Bunting is going to get a, a nice look here and limiting uh, Simmons' minutes might be best for to get the most out of him at 5-on-5 five five play as well. But 
he also played pretty well on a net front role in the in on the power play before he got injured last year. So perhaps, you know, he finds himself there again. Uh, but that's what I believe the power plays should look like. That's how I would deploy them. Now let's take a look at the penalty kill. Um, we'll have somewhat of a new look PK, most likely, with Dean Shinwith um, behind the bench taking over for Dave Haxtall, who departed to Seattle. And Shimwith, if if you don't remember, I, I talked about this back when he was hired. I kind of just went went through his credentials and all that. And, you know, he was in charge of not only the the you know defense uh on the Carolina Hurricanes, but also their penalty kill. And they boasted one of the top units in his three years in Carolina, like a top three unit last year. So Shimwith, you know, seemingly seems like he knows what he's doing. Now they also do have a uh, terrific group over there. They've got, you know, Jacob Slavin, Unreal, Brett Pesci. Like they got some really talented penalty killers and some talented defensemen as well. Um, but but I like the fact that he's going to bring kind of a new, fresh look to this team. Obviously, Zach Hyman was the biggest and main penalty killer for the Maple Leafs over the last three, four years probably. So he's going to be a massive, massive loss. Um, so here's what I think the first PK unit's going to look like without him. I think Marner still remains on the penalty kill because, well, quite frankly, he actually does quite well in that role um, and provides a little bit of offense as well. Uh, but I think David Camp would be the guy who I think takes over that Hyman role, I suppose, as, as the best penalty killer on the team. And what I like about Camp is the fact that he's actually a natural center. So, and you know, they actually have someone who could take face-offs. And that was something that probably was somewhat detrimental to their penalty killing last year. Like, losing face-offs, like losing the, off the draw right off the hop. You lose possession in the defensive end, and, and right away, you know, the offense has an opportunity. You know, like, they, they now have possession in the offensive end. But if David Camp, a traditional center, is out there, it makes it a little tricky. Maybe, we'll, you know, in, instead of losing on 40% of the D-zone draws on the power play, now maybe you're winning 60% of them or 55% of them or whatever, and you give your, your penalty kill unit a, a better chance to kill it off by winning that first draw in the defensive zone start and then just dumping the, the puck down the ice and wasting time. Right, so I think having David Camp there is is not only big because he's just a good shutdown guy, like he's a good shot suppressor in himself, but also for the just just to win faceoffs, like to win faceoffs, and you know sometimes they would have a guy who would go in there, like Jason Spezza, sometimes would win a faceoff and then you know make a change with Marner or with Hyman or whatever, and would just like make a change, right, faceoff get off the ice, right? That was kind of his role. And now you don't have to worry about that. So if you do lose the face-off, I guess, you know, you still have a top penalty killer out there, not Jason Spezza. Uh, so that's that's what I like about maybe this new-look penalty kill unit. So Camp and Marner, and then obviously Justin Hall and Jake Muzzin are the, uh, are, are the defensemen on the first unit. Uh, the second unit, I, I think Kerfoot and as the forwards, and then Travis Dermott and TJ Brody as the defensemen. So uh, Kerfoot, we've seen him at times 
get uh, get some opportunities here on the penalty kill. I, I like Ilya Mikheyev as a penalty killer. Um, like I said, I, I kind of have always likened him to uh, a, a Zach Hyman light that just has the worst puck luck of all time. But he's a guy who'll grind. He's a guy that will, you know, go into the corner and, you know, play some, some good defensive hockey in his own end. He's very responsibly that way. So I think Mikheyev and Kerfoot, uh, you know, they, they can combine to be a decent little penalty kill unit themselves. And then Dermot and Brody, I think they'll be... They'll be fine. Uh, like I said, Dermot, not quite my favorite guy to uh, deploy on the PK. I would rather Bogosian or a big, stout defensive defenseman type uh, over, you know, a guy like Dermot. But I'm not going to sit here and, and just complain about that the entire time. But again, a lot of uh, situations that you're going to wish that dirt that Bogosian was was around or at least you know a big bulky defensive defenseman like Bogosian but that uh that'll do it that is the first mock lineup card of the off season for myself so once again I'll go through it all we've got Bunting Matthews and Marner on the first uh, first line, Richie, Tavares, and Nylander on the second line. Kerfoot, Kampf, and Mikheyev as a shutdown third line. Simmons, Spezza, and Andre Kasha as the fourth line. Riley Brody as a first pairing. Muzzin Hall as the second shutdown pairing. And then Sandine and Dermott as the third pairing. And special teams units on the first power play. We've got Nick Ritchie, Austin Matthews, William Nylander, Morgan Riley, and Jason Spezza on the second unit. Michael Bunting, John Tavares, Mitch Marner. Alex Kerfoot and Rasmus Sandin. And then the penalty killers, we've got Kampf and Marner and then Muzzin and Hall as your first unit penalty killers. And then on the second unit, we've got Kerfoot and Mikheyev up front with Dermot and Brody on the blue line. So that is my very first mock lineup card for the Maple Leafs. And I'm sure I'll be updating this as we go throughout the offseason. So this won't be the uh, the last time that I try and do a mock lineup before training camp. I guarantee it. Guarantee it. But let me know if you think that, uh, you know, there's something that you would like to do that I did not have. Maybe you want to see Kerfoot in the top six. Maybe you want to see Kasha up in the top six. Maybe you want to overload the power play. Again, like I said, hit me up on Twitter. Let me know, um, you know, kind of what you liked, what you didn't like, what you would do different uh, on your lineup cards. But that's to do it for me here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Locked On Leafs podcast on all podcasts and platforms and receive daily Leafs content. Follow myself on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show at Locked On Leafs. I'll be back with another episode later in the week. But until then, keep it locked right here on Locked On Leafs.